Welcome to Meatspad, a platform to share breakthrough knowledge that is accessible to the entire meat industry. Be ready to hear from meat specialists who will talk about numerous topics in meat science, including animal welfare, meat production, meat quality, and so much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Francisco Nohar, and I'm your host today. Our guest for this episode is Dr. John Michael Gonzalez. He is an associate professor from the University of Georgia. We'll be chatting today about animal and stress in cattle and how that affects the meat industry. Welcome, Dr. Gonzalez. It's a pleasure to have you here. Before we start, how are you? How was how your family? How are you guys handling all this situation with uh, COVID-19? We're doing good here in, in Watkinsville, Georgia, which is just right outside Athens. Um, currently coming to you live from my bedroom because I have to hide from my kids. Just itching to get back in the lab and conducting some research here at, at UGA and, and, uh, and missing, missing being in the lab and missing being around students. I'm sure. Um, so again, thank you. And uh, so we'll start, we'll start off um, this conversation. What did you take on the economic impact of animal hoarding stress in the beef industry? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good question and one that, you know, I didn't really think about. I think uh, as far as beef is concerned, they're a little bit behind uh, the big guys where they have actual numbers they've conducted. And they actually, the guys just got done conducting a really large study um, with Elanco where they actually have their economic impacts. Um, and I wouldn't say more economic impact, just their, their loss of income impact on, um, on anti-mortem stress uh, factors. Uh, beef guys are a little bit behind that. I think right now, uh, I talked to uh, Dr. Lily Edwards Callaway at Colorado State University, who I asked her a question because you had asked me that the other day. And I was like, wow, that's a pretty good question. And so she, um, she said, actually, she's working on that right now, I believe, and getting more concrete type numbers. But she did publish a paper, and those of, of, of uh, your listeners that are interested in learning more about this, there's a, a new paper that was published in the April version of uh, Journal Animal Science that she goes over a lot of the um, welfare topics and issues, along with uh, Dr. Michelle Calvo from Lanco, and they both go over the the issues in the beef industry. And so it's a really good, nice um, review paper. And so um, one of the numbers she has in there, they don't have straight concrete numbers because if you think about anti-mortem stress or even just what the economic impact it will be, you know, are you talking about just straight animals that will die on the truck, animals that are stressed? So does that mean downtime? Um, you know, does that mean, you know, uh, bad meat quality once the animals go through the harvest process. You, you may even talk about, you know, stress from the standpoint of the animals bruising themselves and then having to cut off meat. So there's not really any concrete type numbers out there. I'm sure the, the, the beef packers actually know that type of, of figure, but they, they may not um, have released that to the general knowledge of academics and the public. Um, however, you know, one figure she does have in there is the um, is the amount of animals that are condemned prior to slaughter, and they call them non-ambulatory animals, animals that can't walk in on their own. Um, they don't classify them much like the um, swine industry, where they're you know stressed or anything like that. But if you just use those straight numbers, 
Um, you know, you, you can say there's around, I looked at the figure this morning, 39 million head of cattle killed on average per year. Um, the number of uh, condemned animals due to stress and other uh, factors, you know, disease and fed cattle end up being around 0.02%. And usually the general public would be like, well, that's not very much, 0.02%. But if you actually think about that, you know, 39 times that by 39 million head of cattle, it ends up being a pretty big number. Um, and then you take the average, um, the average cost of a 1500 pound steer. That's what I was basing the calculation off of. And, you know, based on market prices, which are always flip flopping everywhere. So that's why it makes it even more complicated to do this. Um, you know, I estimated a, a steer would be around $1,650 value and, and probably true cattle guys would maybe flip at that number, but let's just say conservatively, that's what a, a beef animal would cost. You get economic value being around $2.8 million lost per year. Um, so overall, it's a, it's a big economic impact for the, the industry, um, especially the, if you're the packer absorbing those losses or if you're the feedlot absorbing those losses. And so um, economically, it's a huge problem. Um, and one that, that is starting to gain traction as far as um, figuring out ways to um, to actually um, reduce stress in those animals as they come to slaughter. Good, good. Um, oh, thank you for sharing that. So I have the next question uh, will be, okay, what, what happens uh, in cattle when they undergo stress? When you mentioned like there's a, a, a very high proportion of those condemned animals, maybe due to the, the animal or stress that occurs basically uh, right before slaughter. Um, so tell us a little bit, a little bit about that and, uh, and how is your research, your current research uh, tackling uh, this issue? Yeah, so, um, so yeah, that's another one, you know, super complicated question um, and, and one that, that's not easily answered because if you think about a beef animal, right, they're hanging out in the feedlot, um, living the life, I guess you would say, that they, the only time they have to move or whatever is, is to get up and go eat and go to the bathroom and so that they have a really plush life in, in that sense, I guess you would say. Um, and so they're low impact and so we'll, we'll load them on trucks. You know, anytime um, that humans come around cattle, you know, for the most part, depending on how the history of those cattle, you know, whether they're from an area, let's say like the swamp of Florida where they hardly ever see people. So they, they, they are very scared of people. Or if you even think about ones that have had negative experiences with, with humans, you know, anytime a human animal interaction occurs, as far as beef cattle are concerned, you know, they get stressed out. And so most of the time when we do handle our animals, we're either moving them somewhere or they're going through a, a shoot, getting shots, you know, getting on. And so it ends up not being a super pleasurable experience for them. And so, um, and so they, most of the time when you start handling them, you get stressed out, right? And so, you know, that's the first stress they'll run into is actually getting them loaded onto the truck, you know. Uh, outside of that, you know, or before that even happens, you may want to think too, all right, aside from the human interaction, what is the animal actually exper experiencing in the environment? You know, during winter, is it really cold? Are they shivering? You know, during, uh, 
during uh, uh, summer, is it really hot and they're, they're heat stressed? And so that's another issue to think about and how we manage them um, as far as that's concerned. Put them on the truck, you know, one of the big factors there is crowding. You don't want to crowd them too much on the, on the actual transport trailer. Um, that's kind of my interest right here at UGA. It started at K-State, of course, with you coming along on our, our rides. And, and so kind of, kind of characterizing the conditions of the transport trailer and how that affects. Um, what I'm specifically interested in is actually the um, vibration patterns. And so um, have a hypothesis. And right now at UGA and the work that you participated with me at, at K-State, was using pigs as a model. Pigs are a little bit, you know, easier to, to access um, uh, for us at that point. Um, and they were a little bit uh, easier model to deal with. And so, um, and so we, we ended up, what we're looking at is putting on accelerometers that measure the vibration patterns and the up and down, the Z axis, the left and right, and the, and the back and, and forth um, motions. And what we end up looking at is are those vibrations causing the muscles of those animals to fatigue? And so I, I equate it to much like using a two-stroke engine. Um, you know, those that use chainsaws are a weed eater for a long time, and then your hands are really tired and you can't, you know, close your hands because you're you're fatigued or you have to hold on to things. Um, it's much the same principle that, you know, are those vibrations in the trailers um, causing the animals to become fatigued. And so we're, we're actually testing that right now in pigs. Um, K-State still working with the, the, um, ag, the bio, the bio ag engineering gentleman there. And we're, um, actually building the simulator that will simulate those vibration patterns. It'll be designed for both cattle and pigs so we can put them in there and shake them and then, um, see how their muscle profiles change. And so that's another one that we're interested in. But aside from that, what we're also tracking in the trucks with the pigs and can be trans and translated over to cattle are the actual um, the actual temperature and the environment in there. So humidity, temperature. Um, you know, are we wait are we wetting down the cattle during summer? Are we closing the slats? Because each of those transport trailers they'll have the ability during winter time to close the slats, so you don't so you don't let cold air in, and so are the are the uh, transport operators actually getting those um, slats closed to prevent wind, uh, cold wind from coming over those animals? And so there's a lot of factors in there. You know, one thing that, that we also don't realize is we're going to mix those animals with, um, with animals they're not familiar with. And of course, when we mix livestock with each other, we have, they have to figure out a pecking order. So there are some of those dynamics too. And so um, it's a multifactorial um, a problem, one that's, that's really, you know, for my approach, I think you start one at a time. I know a lot of, of other scientists, all the factors in together. Um, but that's, you know, at this point at UGA, we're going to focus on vibrations and then from there build our simulator and start being able to control environment and all these other factors that that, uh, that attribute to those animals being stressed too. I also recall you evaluating the location within the trailer. Uh, do you think that also has an impact on, on the stress, like the, just the, the location within the trailer? Yeah, so um, since the last time I talked to you, um, you know, we, we actually, I, I met an um, uh, engineer here, um, Dr. Ben Davis, and he actually worked 
on vibrations and rockets for NASA. He was a, a NASA scientist, and so I contacted him, and, and I wanted to put the data in um, in numerical um, fashion uh, where we have originally had it in what they call spectrograms, which are just color plots that show you based on color where the vibration's occurring. And what we ended up finding out is the back back uh, compartment in those pot belly trailers, which are the same ones that they use to um, ship cattle in, both cattle and pigs in Kansas, um, that one has the highest vibration profile. Um, and then one of the neater things is a different type of truck that they use to, to transport pigs um, in North Carolina, where I've been collecting data when I moved over here to the Southeast. Is, um, the middle section seemed to have a lot of vibration too. So, um, and so the middle type sections. And so, um, yeah, there are different compartments where there's different uh, vibrations. One of the things we'll do is you know, kind of get those vibration patterns worked out and then measure them on the pigs and say, okay, let's assume this pig is, um, and then let's vibrate him towards the middle and see how his muscle fatigue versus somebody that's in the back top, uh, what they call the jailhouse. So I call it doghouse, I think that's incorrect, but sure. but I, for some reason I like to call it the doghouse. Uh, so that's kind of what we're looking at there. But there are, uh, right now our data would indicate there are different vibration patterns based on where you you're getting transported in the truck okay all right so this is the next question for you um so transportation and again depending on the time may result in fatigue what what is the overall meat quality impact when this occurs you know i think that i've heard and i'm trying to think back to my days when i worked in a, in a beef plant you know, you get these animals in, um, most will want them to um, to rest or go through larage for about two hours. So to hopefully get some of their energy um, built back up from the transport. Of course, that all depends on transport time. Um, and so, you know, as far as fatigue, it just depends the amount of fatigue that those animals go through. So one of the things like I talked about earlier, the human-animal interaction is a big thing before you put them on the truck. Well, no, the number one thing, getting them on the truck, is how stressed you make them before you load them on the truck. And so if you treat them poorly, you have to run them a long distance, um, you know, you run them really hard um, through, the, um, through, the, through the processing uh, before they get on the truck, you end up getting them really tired, and they'll use up a lot of their energy. And so for the most part, what you end up getting is, you know, in pigs, you'll end up getting, you know, PSC or pale soft and exudated pork, where the color is really pale, you get a lot of purge um, and the meat quality, and then overall the quality of the pork is just not very good when you cook it. Um, and beef cattle, probably the one that's more um, of a problem is dark cutters. So you end up, end up stressing them out to a point where they have no more energy in their muscle, and that has to do with combination of stressing them before they get on the truck and then also, you know, probably being energy being used while they're, because the difference with cattle is in pigs is some pigs will lay down in a, in the trailer versus cattle. They don't have room to lay down. So they stand the whole time they're in transport. So depending on how far they have to, have to, to go to move to go to, to slaughter, um, it ends up being a long time being standing up. And so they'll end up being DFD or dark, firm, and dry. 
So what that told us is there's no, no, um, no energy in their muscle to actually have the normal pH decline that we get when muscle turns into meat. And so what that does is it allows the muscle to bind more water, which in theory you would think, oh, well, that kind of be a good thing. It has more water. It's going to be more juicy. But what it does is it ends up um, consumers aren't used to that dark color, and so it, it freaks them out. So most of the time they won't even make it to um, the retail market, let's say for like Kroger or Publix or whatever grocery store you're shopping in. Um, the other thing is, is, is it, it, it does have problems. You do end up having problems with palatability um, with that product because it has so much water, the beefy flavor probably uh, most likely away. Thank you. Next question. What would be your recommendation uh, to the meat industry uh, to try to minimize animal distress in cattle? That's a really good question. You know, but as new research comes out, um, kind of think about how some of the things that Colorado State's finding out, that we're finding out, um, and, and some of the, the management practices that we're um, suggesting um, kind of start to try to, to figure out how those could be accepting to their operations um, and how they can incorporate that. But overall, you know, I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to the human and um, animal interaction. And so, you know, really training their personnel and, and driving home the, uh, the concepts that um, handling those animals with the least amount of stress possible is probably going to be the best in everybody's interest. You know, it's not only the best as far as meat quality and economically, it's also the right thing to do, right? Um, because, you know, to, to, to take an animal and stress them out right before you, you end their lives is, is, is not the best ethical thing to do. And so kind of driving that, that home with their employees. And, and it, it's hard. You know, I worked in a beef plant for about nine months. Uh, I'm by no means an expert, but I learned a lot during those nine months where, you know, employees tend to get, you know, we, we train them a lot. And then they end up being, um, you know, you end up doing the same thing over and over every day. Um, some things, some, some uh, situations become very frustrating. And so really, you know, teaching those um, employees to handle it, you know, take, take a step back, take a breath, you know, understand that these animals are scared, they're stressed, and we're trying to, to get them through a system that's loud um, and, and scary. So kind of reminding them of that and keeping the, the stress down and keeping their, their employees um, with the right frame of mind that, you know, I need to, to keep these animals um, under the least amount of stress as possible is probably the number one thing. And that's, you know, no, that's been known forever. You know, Temple Grandin said that eons ago. And so, um, and so, yeah, that's just kind of one of those things. I think constantly training and driving that concept home that we need to um, treat these animals with the least amount of stress as possible and prevent that. And, you know, we do a lot of things like, you know, bags on sticks, you know, keep down the hooping and hollering, you know, most, I think me coming from a city background, I always think of when people move cattle, you do that, you know, hooping and hollering, ooh, ooh, kid, you know, move on cow, you know, stuff yeah. like that. But coming up with new methods of moving cattle, um, you know, I think the, the easiest one that I saw in, in my time in industry was um, uh, the young lady that worked for me, 
she ended up having a Dremel tool, but what we ended up doing was we just had a blunt tip on it. So it would just provide a little vibration to the hind end of the animal and it would keep them moving. So coming up with new methods, moving animals, you know, um, stress-free methods is really, um, is really something that I think producers should, should think about doing. And uh, I think they're doing a job now, but as things change and as we learn more about how to, how to um, reduce the stress in these animals, I think um, not being complacent is the number one thing I would say. Thank you. And uh, we thank you a lot for, uh, for being here today. Um, thank you for sharing all that valuable information. Uh, we are coming to the end of today's episode. Before we let you go, I'd like you uh, to answer just one question that uh, we ask all of our guests. What is the uh, most challenging part with you working from home? Yeah. You know, I think one of the things is the hardest thing that's that we've had to do, and luckily my wife's been here most of the time, so she's been on for not for a long, uh, been on <laughs> been on kind of home home quarantine with me. Um, is we kind of juggle things. So when I have to do something like this, she watches the kids, and then when she has to teach class or her vet classes, they I end up watching the kids. But sometimes I don't do a good job, and the kids end up running into her class. But um, <laughs> But, you know, I think really writing is hard. Um, I'm trying to, I'm used to writing in a quiet environment. Not, not too quiet, but just in my office, you know, I can sit there and concentrate. But, you know, you got to open a pack of um, gummy bears or whatever for the kids. That draws my attention. And trying to write with Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on the TV ends up being a hard thing to do, too. And so that's been hard kind of trying to write, but I think I've gotten better at that. Um, the thing that I'll, I'll, I'll probably remember the most and I'll value the most about this is, is I, you know, you know me, I traveled a lot at K-State. Um, when I moved here, I was hoping I wouldn't travel as much, but I ended up, you know, I was traveling a lot, especially right before the pandemic hit. And so I've missed a lot of time with my kids due to my job. And so um, sometimes I think this is maybe God's way of telling me, hey, you know, this is, I'm going to force you to be with your kids as they grow up. And so this has been really valuable time for me to, to watch my kids grow and and, uh, and 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 spend a lot of time with them, and, you know, my son will sit and, and take breaks, and I'll sit in the chair, and he'll sit on top of me, and you know, we'll take like a ten minute nap or something, and so that's really great time for me and stuff that I'll I'm sure I'll cherish, and and we'll look back upon and smile when we um, when 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 this is all over. So it's not all bad. I, I you know I've really enjoyed it from a family standpoint to be with my family a lot. Yep. I totally agree with you on that one. Uh, with all this COVID nineteen situation, we for sure spend more time with uh, with our families at home, and that can be uh, that can be challenging sometimes. All right, thank you again. Um, and with this, we end this episode. Uh, we thank you, Dr. Gonzalez, and thank you, the audience, um, for uh, listening to Meets Bad. Until the next time, 